0: Because you're working with code, it sort of forces you to think about those problems first and explore those problems first, then tweak the the visuals later, if you
1: like. Hi, everyone. Welcome, and thank you for joining me. My name is Franco Veriano, and I'll be your host for the Tech Plus Art podcast. Tech Plus Art is the community for curious individuals and creators who are looking to make a dent in the universe. Together, we're exploring the new frontiers of creativity, humanity, and how emerging technologies will continue to shape our culture, professions, products, and much more. Join me on this journey as we speak with artists, makers, researchers, designers, and creators from all backgrounds and fields. Tech Plus Art is an inclusive community and we make our content for you. So we wanna hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, topics you'd like us to explore or contribute to yourself, reach out to us on Twitter or via the website. You can check us out at maketechart.com or at maketechart everywhere else. So with that out of the way, let's get to today's episode. In this episode, we're joined by Mike Bronberg, a designer, developer, and artist. He's the co-founder of Culture Design, a creative agency specializing in data visualization, information design, and generative design. Mike is also currently at London City Hall as part of their intelligence unit working on data visualization. Mike joins us to share his story, what it's been like working in this evolving industry, his current approach to creating design systems that mix generative and formal information design, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for being on the show today.
0: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, really excited to have a chance to to speak with you and learn more about, you know, your career path and what you're up to and and your take on data visualization and and all the stuff that you're up to. But before we dive into some of that, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what was it like growing up? Yeah, so
0: I'm Mike Brombier. I'm based in kind of London and East Sussex, which is kind of uh, about an hour south of London. So I have a kind of split world uh, between the sprawling metropolis of London and the very quiet countryside of of East Sussex. And that's kind of how I've grown up as well. I've always sort of grown up in the country Um, because, you know, we're quite close to the city. I'm visiting there a lot. And we're kind of positioned halfway between London and Brighton. So both really good, interesting, creative places. But not actually trapped within the media, you know. So I'm kind of, yeah, split my time between, between both. So I work on, I guess, generative artist, data viz, designer, developer, creative coder, all of those things. And I don't know, what I've never been able to kind of sum up what <laughs> good t- title is that, <laughs> that encapsulates all of that. And I think a lot of people who do similar things also have that, that problem with artist, developer, designer. So yeah, it's a tricky one to, to describe, but those are, those are the kind of fields I, I work in yet.
1: It's really cool. And so how did you end up getting your start with with all of those fields or some of those fields or, you know, like what kicked it all off for you? Where did the inspiration come from? I mean, I've always,
0: I've been freelance for a long time. I, you know, I started my career when the web was really in its early days and, you know, we were still coding HTML websites in, in Notepad. Dreamweaver came out and that was a big deal, you know, like way back then. And I did a lot of work in Flash for many years. So I'm kind of one of those guys that used to do a lot of Flash work. And I think that Flash background was what drove me into, I mean, Flash was a very creative development environment. And it was that really nice balance for me between art and science, you know, art and technology. You could be expressive with code, you could be expressive with the animation, but it could also be have a kind of a generative and kind of programmatic sort of approach to it and i think that's what that that's what started me down that path and seeing kind of the work of people like joshua davis and jared tarbell and mario klingerman in those those days you know really huge influence on me and then as sort of flash went away i kind of had to find a new a new space myself and inevitably but still working on the web in a way so that ended up me kind of looking around for i I kind of really enjoyed the interactivity of flash i really enjoyed the like i say, the creativity of, of that environment and i kind of came across then kind of interactive data visualization so that was a space you know, as Flash was going away, which was kind of emerging as a kind of really interesting space. Whereas web design maybe was coming, maybe getting a bit dry and a bit formulaic, interactive data viz was just emerging as a, as a really interesting sort of form, both artistically and kind of analytically as well. And so it seemed like there was a good place to sort of take my skills of, you know, a lot of the, the Flash work I'd done previously, I took a, maybe a data source or a, a dynamic input. Qu- data from an API and piping that into Flash. And so I was kind of used to that workflow of having where you set up a system and then pipe data into it and see what emerges. Less expressively, perhaps, but I was kind of used to that idea. So interactive data is, seemed like a good fit for that. As uh, so I was exploring that interactive data visualization field, I sort of then came across generative art and that crossover between those worlds of creating drawing systems and creating design systems that have an input whether that's a user input or data as an input and so have always had that kind of a lot of people come to data visualization from maybe an, an analyst's point of view or a, a sort of a data science background but i'm definitely coming at it have been coming at it from a creative and sort of design point of view and as a, as a kind of a tool for drawing you know um and so, so my interest in information design and data design crosses over with generative and generative design completely. And, and they, I kind of mix the two up. And, I, you know, sometimes I'm talking about data viz, but really it's more generative than that. But I think the two fields kind of feed off each other really nicely. So, so yeah, that's, it was emerging out of Flash, seeing what other people were then doing after Flash and had done in those days and what other people ended up doing. Like Joshua Davis, for instance, ended up doing a lot of work in processing uh, as with Jared Talbot as well. Yeah. Processing then very much became my, my tool of choice. And from a creative point of view, it still is, you know, after, after all these years it's still like my, my go-to tool.
1: Yeah, very cool. And so I guess speaking of of that, that emergence from Flash into information design and, and leveraging new technologies, you ended up starting a creative agency called Culture Design. So what motivated you to launch that agency and, and transition from freelance into, into some of that? And what was it like getting started with this a few years ago?
0: I've freelanced for forever, for a decade, um, and Polly and I would work with each other on and off um, over time. And, and so Polly's background is a sort of back end developer, a .NET developer. And so we'd have a good relationship in terms of I'd like, do a lot of the front end work and the design work, and then overlap where she would provide kind of uh, an API to data and do some of the like the back end scaffolding stuff. So so the two of us could kind of offer that sort of full service, if you like, that full front to back end design development and solution. So that. So that's why we kind of started Culture together. Obviously, nice to work with family. And I think it was trying to turn Culture Design as a, as a small studio, turn it into a more of a small studio than necessarily kind of just me freelancing, you know, me, just me kind of taking on jobs That, you know, you get phoned up for a particular job and you just do it as a freelancer, you you take what you're given in a way. And and actually culture design was a bit more about setting out our stall and saying and trying to direct the work, direct ourselves towards the kind of work we wanted to do and were being asked to do. So the two of us got you know got together and did that to kind of respond to demand for that kind of work, but also to, to set our stall out and better define what we do. And I think that's something I learned out of the other end of Flash was that I'd just been a Flash developer for such a long time. But when that went away, it made you very much aware of I wasn't really driving that business when I was a Flash developer. I was just responding to what people phoned up and wanted whereas i wanted with culture design to kind of be more in control of of that destiny if you like and not be necessarily oh he's the processing guy or oh he's the javascript guy but make it more sort of um higher level than that i guess
1: yeah make, make it about yeah. the, the field or the design versus the technology or the the actual type. yeah so it's not
0: it's not necessarily about tooling and you're trying to drive a particular aesthetic or you, you have a, a particular design aesthetic or idea or process but it's not necessarily so trying to escape from that freelance bubble of he's the guy that does that sort of thing. That said, though, obviously, generative design and data viz is pretty niche market. <laughs> so I found myself back into this, this fairly niche bu- bucket. So that, that was the ethos behind that, yeah.
1: Very cool. And so, you know, speaking of it being a bit of a niche bucket, I mean, obviously, you know, like like you said a second ago, you know, you're responding to some of the demand and also, you know, kind of creating and, and driving the narrative for a certain skill set or aesthetic or keeping up with, with the industry that's taking shape. So how have you seen that evolve or change or, you know, since you got started? Is it still niche or, or are more and more organizations jumping on information design? Like, how does that, I guess, play into what you're trying to do?
0: I think in London, I think in the UK, it had a really bright spot about 10 years ago. And I think a lot of, around about, I guess, well, maybe a bit less than 10 years ago, around about the time was the, kind of the London Olympics, and there was a lot of arts funding going on. And I think a lot of studios were sort of born out of that. And a lot of um, people's careers were born out of that period. And I think that was, as I was coming again out of Flash, that's when I was discovering a lot of people doing really interesting work. And it seemed like there was a, a fairly burgeoning Sort of scene there, and I think that maybe has reduced a bit now. I think under a different government, there's less arts funding, so that maybe isn't as quite as vibrant in terms of funded projects. I think it's harder, but in terms of the community, as Matt DeLoria was talking about on your one of your previous podcasts, and Matt is living in London now. Yeah, as he said, it's, it's a very vibrant, brilliant, and you know, vibrant community here in London and around the world. To be honest, that that whole scene. So. I think there is slowly kind of a realization in the design industry about the power of generative design. And that kind of procedural design, that it can be incredibly productive uh, way of designing and producing work, rather than hand illustrating. Not that I have anything against hand illustrating, anything that's amazing. The work that people do who can actually draw, unlike me, you know, is it, incredible. But there is a there's a different aesthetic, obviously, to generative design, and it's a very productive space to work in. Once you've got your system worked out, actually, you can then produce your artwork for your conference, for your artwork for your print design, for your banners, for your for your album covers, whatever. It is you know, in, that you need in your, your T-shirts and I guess tools are starting to kind of take on that, that approach where you're, d- you're creating a design system in code coupled with, you know, perhaps visual inputs as well. But you're not just designing one image, you're not just designing one illustration, you're designing an illustration system. So I think there is a there is an, an acceptance of that. But I spent a lot of time trying to convince people that let's design things in processing and let's design a system for this. But I think a lot of agencies are kind of set up around the kind of the Adobe Creative Cloud workflow. And it, it's hard to take a design agency model that is used to those kind of toolings and sort of reinvent it around an entirely different process people still want to go yeah but can I have it as an illustrator file that I can edit in illustrator or can I still have it so it's an education process I think working with design agencies some of them really get it and really embrace it and some of them it doesn't sit well because they're used to working in a, in a very sort of linear sort of adobe kind of workflow which is great I mean it's fine but it's it's trying to find a way into that and I think And actually, Matt mentioned in his interview with you about the work he was doing in in adding some code into like Figma. And the ability to add those sort of code snippets into these design tools is great. And some of those prototypes he was making for Figma was really interesting. And I think that's going to be the way that people start dropping bits of code into a more understandable, a a more familiar design environment, if you like. You know, just like you could script in Illustrator years ago, but it was a bit janky and funny. and, And I think that kind of being able to drop scripts
1: in into modules within a more familiar design tool is where it's going to be. Very interesting. And so pushing that that concept of the design studio workflow a little bit further, I mean, obviously with culture design, you guys had the tools of choice like processing or, or other like higher level objectives like information design. So how did you organize your workflow different from a traditional studio that on that Adobe workflow you were just talking about?
0: I think generative design or data design is, is much more kind of iterative process and, and sort of parameterized. So it's kind of like a lot of work up front in a way. But as a workflow, you're working with code really. Uh, to, and maybe it's code that you, you're reusing from other experiments you've done. You, you know, returning back to Matt again yeah, and the, the conversation you had with him, he's, he's got his own tool set that he's built up and he's very much more formalized his tool set into a very rigorous library that, that have um, functions and methods. And it's Canvas sketch is his tool. And it's great. I love it my own workflows is much more kind of rough and ready than that that you know I kind of just have lots of you know folders and folders and folders sort of little experiments and little iterations that I've tried here and there and so I'll remember okay I had that that was working with that kind of typographic or I, I did a, a type experiment here or I did something with a video here so I'll jump back into all of those little experiments and use those as kind of a starting block and then you start sketching out what you want to build but what what's really good about the generative design process is instead of just jumping straight into drawing things. You're trying to decide how the system should behave. And by by deciding how a system should behave, it it should have, you're really pinning down the idea behind the design, the core of how does a particular value map to a, a visual encoding? How does a how is this supposed to behave in, in response to someone's input or response to a certain input? And what does that mean to the design? Because you've got to encode that somehow rather than just going, this looks nice. Now try and do the homework afterwards and try and make that fit a kind of design system. It's like, well, it's system first, then the, the visuals come out after that. So, but because you've set that system up first and then the visuals emerge out of that, you can then push that system into other formats or iterate quickly with by changing the parameters. So it's kind of It's like how designers should work, but quite often don't work because you're working with code. It sort of forces you to think about those problems first and explore those problems first, then tweak the the visuals later, if you like. So, but that can be quite hard from a, if you're working with an art director or something, it's like, you know, you don't necessarily come straight to the visual side of things. So quite often it's. You'll be working from other things that maybe they've seen you make. It's like, okay, we quite like this that you've made, or we've seen this other thing somewhere else. We like that aesthetic. But then you have to kind of go, right, yeah, but what are we trying to make? What ideas is it based on? What's the data it's based on? Or what are the, the parameters that this design should be based on, yeah, or should be bound
1: to? So how did you balance that as an agency with or with a client is it the design system that comes first or or the project and objectives and like how do you reconcile the two is it building a new system every time with code and then and then seeing the visuals come out or what was your approach to that
0: I think it is built on pre-existing building blocks that you've got and and in truth a lot of the work we did came from a lot of personal projects. And so I think that's what I really liked about this sort of generative design world is that you're doing a lot of personal exploration, publicly iterating. So that was that's a big part of it, I think, is every day, like trying to sketch every day and put something on Twitter or Instagram. So you're kind of, you're always showing work in a way. That's happened to me before is that people will see something, some little thing that I made put on Instagram It's just a little throwaway thing. It's like, yeah, that's what we want it to be like, that thing there you made. And, and you've got all that. You've got all that sort of stored away. And so it's kind of almost like showing your sketchbook constantly and it and and then usually the project will be kind of born out of out of something that you've already worked on. Or you can say, okay, well, we've done this here. This has got this kind of motion or and this has got this kind of aesthetic. Let's imagine we put those two things together, let's explore that. And then so it rarely is a is a system built from scratch, and rarely is a is a necessarily an aesthetic born from scratch. But sometimes it can be if like an art director has a particular direction they want to go in. I think that's one of the hardest challenges with generative work is balancing the chaos and unpredictability of generative with strict brand guidelines. (laughs) You know, it's like... The two things sometimes work really well together, sometimes they don't. And it, I think you've got to have a, like an art director who embraces that chaos a little bit and lets that kind of express itself rather than trying to constrain that particularly. And some projects have gone better than others from that, that point of view.
1: Very cool. And so how has this work, your career, evolved? Like, what, what is the type of work you're doing now? And what's your day-to-day like? And what types of problems are you trying to solve?
0: So culture design has kind of taken a bit of a sidestep at the moment for a number of reasons. To be honest, Brexit hasn't particularly helped us. Other people seem to be doing very well um, and, uh, in that scene and in that industry. But I think when you're doing work at kind of a strange end of the advertising agency, uh, sort of the advertising agency world or the design agency world, there was a lot of interest in generative work. And, and I think it's the kind of work that gets commissioned when there's plenty of budget around and, and people are willing to push push a little bit, but I think it felt to me like budgets had, had got much more constrained, certainly in the UK at the moment, but due to the uncertainty around, around Brexit and the uncertainty around the industry generally is how I felt. But like I say, we're a very small business, so it's very difficult to, to know whether that's just us or or whether that's that's typical of, of what's going on in the wider economy. So while we, we are doing more projects through culture, I'm working at City Hall in London City Hall. And basically I'm working in the intelligence unit there and working on data design, information design. It's really interesting place to work in that it's the complete sort of opposite on the data data viz spectrum or data design spectrum to the kind of the generative stuff. It's very much more about clear communication, clear and accurate presentation of data rather than kind of the ambiguous, floaty, kind of more expressive you know, use of data as an input into a system. It's funny, though, how, how the two things kind of cross, the two worlds sort of cross over, because you really are still creating drawing systems, you know, these kind of procedural design systems. You've got to think about different inputs into, you know, what if the, the data is big or what if the data is small, what if the data is very flat or very spiky? Or how does my visualization respond to that? And It's very much the same process as you go through with a, a more expressive piece. So yeah, so I'm working in the intelligence unit there at the moment, so working with economists and demographers and the GIS team who I'm sitting with at the moment. So we're working on mapping applications and trying to work out what should data visualization look like coming from City Hall? What, how does it feel like as a City Hall project? Um, what, what are the brand constraints on that? So I joined there. Started working there and then realized I didn't really have any sort of style guides or data viz style guides. There's kind of corporate brand guidelines, but there isn't. no one's really been thinking about how should a chart look. what well, is it's good practice in terms of information design. So I started tackling that problem. We kind of released the intelligence unit style guide, which got picked up, seemed to go down quite well. I, I kind of got it reviewed by a few people before I let it out. Andy Kirk and a few people kind of had a look at it. Uh, oh, uh, Alan Smith at the FT had a look at it for me just to make sure I hadn't made any terrible schoolboy errors in, in this. And it seemed to go down quite well. And um, so that that's really kind of that style guide, a style guide for my own work, effectively, or the, the work of us as a unit, then has meant that we can now go on and start building tools to allow people to create data visualization in the unit and in the wider Greater London Authority and in boroughs around around London. So so yeah, that's what I'm doing day to day. But I'm still doing a lot of the generative work. So I don't know if you know W Blut, Woblut, I don't know how you even say it on Twitter. Frederick Van Hout, anyway, he's you know my best generative friend and he's a radiation physicist in his day job. So we both sit on the train in the evening and, and in the evenings and our, our hashtag is creative commuting. So uh, that's that's where a lot of generative and creative stuff happens at the moment.
1: That's super cool. And so how are you blending these two worlds together in terms of you know what's happening on the train or in the generative community and what's happening in, in more of you know a government official level from a tool set perspective like how are you blending what's missing and, and what you want to create and what you want to see how are you approaching filling that gap
0: yeah so the tooling is there is a crossover i think so generative end of things i'm still using processing a lot i just like it it's comfortable for me it's easy to use it outputs in lots of different formats you know you can output video or stills or vectors you know you can hook it into all sorts of things and and so i really like that still then there's p5js which is processing's JavaScript sister product, I suppose, which is very similar. So a place like Open Processing is is a good place to kind of explore P5JS, and that's a great community. And I think the where the two worlds cross over is inevitably the web. And so at the city hall end and the data visualization end, I'm using D3, D3JS, to do that more kind of rigorous data visualization. Then building web applications in maybe, you know, you're using Vue, and we're using tools for, for mapping and stuff, which would be things like Leaflet and Map and stuff like that, and then I guess they start to, those two worlds start to converge at sort of WebGL, sort of canvas, canvas 2D, that sort of thing, and, and shaders and things. And that's where I guess one end of my world and the other end of the world, I I haven't quite worked out that. I just haven't quite got that sweet spot yet between the two worlds where, yeah, so I need to, I personally, I don't think there's an an, an absence of tooling around at the moment. I think it's like, which tool do you pick and how much time have you got to spend learning this spectrum of tools that are out there? And, And my own gap in my knowledge is certainly that WebGL Canvas environment online. 3JS, that sort of thing, it's definitely something, yeah, Canvas and Canvas 2D is definitely something I, I need to do more of, which is why I really like Matt Delaurier's Canvas Sketch tool set because it kind of gives you a quick and easy way in, into Canvas 2D and 3JS and all, all of that sort of stuff. But it's more of a kind of a processing type thinking behind it. So the way he set up the logic is very processing-like. So, yeah, if anyone's listening and, and wants to dig into something, it's a great tool, even if it is in V3. It's got a lot, lots of features,
1: yeah. Very cool. And I guess on that same note, like where do you think the future of the generative design data industry is is heading in terms of maybe some of that tooling, maybe how people are exploring different aspects, different ideas. I guess where do you see it evolving, you know, beyond where it's at today?
0: I, I sort of struggle a little bit with generative design as it is at the moment. I think I feel like I'm sometimes really excited about it and sometimes I feel that maybe it, there's a bit of groupthink going on in, in generative design, and I don't want to sound controversial at all. But it's I don't know. It's exciting when everyone gets into a similar aesthetic, and it's quite nice when everyone is going after a certain sort of aspect. And it and almost like the generative design scene goes goes through these waves month on month of like someone does something, and it's like ah, oh, let's all do that, and it's exciting, and everyone shares. So it's almost like a kind of a global studio where everyone's sort of on the same vibe quite often and and sharing ideas and sharing tips on how you did this or how did such and such do that and then everyone kind of riffs on that idea but quite often that aesthetic comes out very similar and there are some people who have a particular aesthetic that is different to everyone else's so i think it's trying to what am i saying where where is it going i'd like to see i think matt has a, a very good unique aesthetic to his work and you can recognize his work distinct from other people. And I think a lot of that comes from absorbing art from other worlds, not just a, a generative design world, and so being open to different influences. Uh, again, Frederick van Hout, you know, has got a very nice, unique style. I think that it comes out of his own tooling. So he he creates the Hemesh library, which is like a 3D library for the processing that he's he's created. There. And so again, his aesthetic is very much driven by the tool he's created for himself to use. I think it would be good to see, as we sort of touched on earlier, more integration with tools we know already, like Figma and you know, I don't know, InDesign or Illustrator. But I also think the danger of that would be like the web and product design world at the moment has become very sort of regimented and very, quite a dry space. While I wish the generative world to have really good inroads into that space, and maybe it will do that space some good to really be able to embrace that kind of more dynamic and live kind of aesthetic. I feel like actually that, that space, you know, the kind of the designing for Amazon, designing for Instagram would for it's those big digital products. Maybe they are so formulaic and so regimented that while there are little spots of creativity in there, I, I wonder whether they would they would really yeah you know, would Silicon Valley really embrace this kind of design approach um, or yeah I don't know maybe maybe it would do everyone some good if they did I don't know I, I will is there a demand to see those kind of processes in, into into the kind of products that people use day to day in that space I don't know um, so it'll be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe I guess you know on some of that note, in terms of things that have helped you out, you, I mean you've mentioned a lot of resources, a lot of different libraries, people, individuals. But are there any other projects or resources that you would point people towards if they're interested in data information design or generative art, anything like that 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 you would call out in addition to you know what we've already mentioned?
0: So we mentioned yeah, open processing, great website which we can explore other people's sketches and sort of branch people's sketches. Daniel Schiffman on uh, YouTube just decades of, of you know years and years of amazing material on, on processing and generative work and he's doing more and more with sort of p5js rather than just processing desktop and he's sort of getting into machine learning how can you, you can use machine learning sort of creatively there's a website generative design there's a book called generative design but the, the website generative gestaltum.de um, it's like a german product a fantastic book it got released about five or Maybe even 10 years ago, this, this huge book called Generative Design and it was all based on processing desktop, but now they've re-released it and it's P5JS based. And so in terms of a grounding in generative approaches, you know, generative just ways of thinking, that's a fantastic book and a fantastic website. I think all the code is up there, so have a look at that.
1: Frederick Van Hout,
0: who I've mentioned, uh, W. Blutt on Twitter, is my big influence, I think, I'd have to say. Um, And we're doing stuff at the moment, the two of us, with generative dice. So actually pairing back, just moving completely away from computers and just using ruler and a compass and a set of dice and trying to create algorithmic drawings based on these simple ideas of just small data that you can generate random data data from a set of dice and what algorithms can you produce from that. So hashtag generative dice, follow that if you're into it. Oh, on the data viz end of things, Andy Kirk, visualizingdata.com, he's got a huge resource website he's following, or he's always following all the trends. And I think, to be honest, I, you know, follow most things from Twitter. So follow the generative hashtag or the data viz hashtag. There's data viz society as well, which is a new kind of group for data viz. A lot of people have joined and as a kind of a group umbrella for data visualization. Yeah, that's where I'd start looking.
1: Of course, we'll toss your handles in there too, so people can find you and, and follow along with, with your hashtag and your work there and, and all. The social channels. Cool, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe just as a way of capping this this amazing conversation that we've had that that's already running over. So thank you for your time. <laughs> um, but like, I guess what what's next for you in terms of you know what you're thinking about it, and maybe what's some advice that you would share with others who are who are looking to get started as as a way to cap it off.
0: I think yeah, one of your questions uh, I sort of looked at earlier is what would you wish someone had told you or what advice would you have given yourself almost. And I think that's where I'd kind of like to head myself towards is my own kind of so we starting again it's just going okay let's forget everything I've I know already and actually and I think as I mentioned the, the Generative Dice Project is actually a really nice project for sort of concentrating on ideas algorithmic thinking and algorithmic ideas over tooling because when you start with a lot of work a lot of fields especially digital fields you're like straight into the tooling what tool did you use to do this how do I do it you know and you're straight into the tutorials and whatever and it's like actually thinking more about generative design as an idea generative design as concept algorithmic thinking and i think the things you produce when you are thinking about concept and the algorithm first and then you go to the tooling it shows through as a really a much a much stronger piece of work so yeah that's that's where i'd like to head myself back to is always go back to the start and go right what am i trying to make what am i trying to create what am i trying to see born and not worry about necessarily the tooling straight away
1: Absolutely, I think that's an amazing piece of advice. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It was amazing to have you on the show. All right, thanks for having me, it's been great. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Tech Plus Art Podcast. We're a very small team behind this project, so we greatly appreciate all your support. If you love our content and these podcasts, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or two. This really does go a long way in helping us get discovered and reach more creators. As always, you can find us online at maketechart.com and at maketechart everywhere else. See you soon.